Welcome to InBasin Observations podcast. Um, we are very lucky today to be in Austin, Texas. I've got my partner, Bill Austin, who's a managing partner at Daniel Energy Partners. This is Sean Mitchell. Uh, and we are very fortunate to be in Atlas Energy Solutions offices today uh, in Austin, Texas. And I'm very fortunate to have John Turner, president and CFO, and Bud Brigham, who's the chairman and CEO of Atlas Energy Solutions. And so I think our primary objective today is to walk through the Dune Express and why it's going to be a game changer for the industry. But before we dive into the Dune Express, Bud, maybe give us a little perspective. Um, you're kind of a legend in the industry. You've been uh, through multiple cycles. Uh, maybe just talk to us a minute and frame the industry today versus 10 to 15 years ago. There's a lot of talk around capital discipline is that real in your opinion and maybe both in the EMP and service industry seem to be healthier today versus previous cycles but maybe talk to that and why you believe that to be the case if you believe that yeah well thank you Sean yeah I, I do think our industry we are in much better shape today than it's ever been in in my career and and when you think back how much it's changed I mean my career is 30 years but even over the last 15 years you know in the Permian we weren't even drilling uh, material number of horizontal wells 15 years ago. We, we had had a lot of success in the Bakken drilling horizontal wells, and we and others were trying to convince Permian operators to go horizontal. And now, you know, all the advancements on drilling and completion technology is just really um, amazing uh, what's happening in the field. But also in terms of capital markets, um, when, when the land rush was going on and we were putting together Brigham resources and <clears throat> tying up land, there was really too much capital available. And so you had, you had too many people that maybe didn't have enough experience and enough, um, you know, um, uh, should not have been able to raise as much capital as they did out there competing. Um, you know, our, 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 uh, a lot of value was destroyed uh, in some cases. Um, well, I think a lot of people would say this industry would throw money into the bonfire. Yeah, right. No doubt. And I, and I don't I don't disagree with that. I think yeah. as a guy who talked to a lot of institutional investors over the years, this industry seemed to just burn money, and that's why a lot of guys left. But I think this discipline is real. I agree it with is, you. I it think is. it's real. And, on, and, and there were a few bad. I mean, we created a lot of value for our investors, and others did as well. But there were bad apples that that really um, that tainted the whole industry, unfortunately. But but yes, now I mean, we are discriminated against. We we have a difficult time accessing capital, but in a way, it's very healthy. Investors are requiring that you are transparent on value creation. I mean, requiring distributions and, um, and is, is, uh, is evidence of that. I mean, we distribute capital back in all of our enterprises. So, so I would say when you look at managers across the ENP space and even the oil field service space, they are much more uh, disciplined and, 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 and I think they're gonna to continue to be that way. The industry is much healthier uh, without the excessive capital that we have. We're not having as much of a supply response as you remember we used to have. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 and you know, it's not like they go out and get a bunch more rigs and just ramp up drilling. Um, when they could, the rate of return on drilling projects, even at $70 oil, is really attractive right now. Right. Well, and I think the other thing that you, you mentioned is return of capital, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you've done that in your businesses. But I think the industry at large has gotten significantly better and thoughtful about how they're going to return capital to their investors. And I think it's changing, and maybe it doesn't change overnight, but I think the investment community is starting to embrace the new model. Yes. And so I'm glad to hear that someone who's been doing this a while 
Is can action. I mention one more yeah, thing? Absolutely. That, yeah, absolutely. I do think Darwinism has taken place as well. When you look at the Permian, it's the very best assets really right. in the country. And so you've had the very best companies with the best balance sheets. Generally, the larger companies migrate to the Permian. So yep. scale is really important. I mean, this is a big factory on the ground, and scale yep. is really important because with scale, you can you get a lot of leverage from that scale. You can drive efficiencies, and that's where uh, another beneficial aspect. Aspect we we have the largest sand reserves and and state of the art plants, so we have the scale. Um, and the experience with the infrastructure to match up with them. Well, we're certainly, it, it's it's pretty funny you say that the larger companies are back in the Permian because it's funny, they all left yes. the U.S. onshore yes. to go chase elephants and offshore. Now they're all back because it is such a great asset. And it is. Look, half the rig counts, over half the rig count roughly is in the Permian. So we right. clearly it's an activity uh, area that we're going to see and, for And it's for a got while. the inventory, uh, right. it's got legs. Well, maybe... Um, Take us back. I think in 2017, you had just purchased the land in Kermit, Texas. And why did you guys choose that specific location? When did the vision come to you about changing the way sand is delivered in the Permian Basin and the idea of the kind of the Dune Express at large? Yeah, you know, as you know, Sean, we, and we've said this multiple times, we benefit from our EMP background. So we right away started thinking, where is the best rock? Uh, when we saw that local sand was was optimal for the Permian, and so we, I grew up out there. We knew the, the giant open dunes were special, and so we went and tied up the Kermit and the Monahans giant open dunes. So I like to say, we secured the Gawar of sand reserves in the Permian. So uh, that's important. Um, those reserves are not just important for their size, but they're generally open dunes. They don't have all the organics. So that's the wind is continually reworking it. And that's real important for the sphericity and the roundness. That's important for the the engineering attributes. Uh, the the uh, crush test of that sand is superior to a lot of the deposits out there. So that's important, to, obviously, to operators um, who need higher quality uh, propping out there. So both the quantity and the quality, um, we, we knew that uh, we wanted to tie up the very best reserves. Then we started thinking about, again, from our ENP experience, you know, whether it's oil, gas, water, moving that commodity around via truck is terrible. I mean, it's inefficient, it's dangerous, it's bad for the communities, it's bad for the environment. So we started thinking right away, and we're probably unique in this regard, at least out of the gate, to think about how do we more efficiently get this sand to the wellhead? And, um, and we evaluated all the options and, of course, landed on the conveyor. Well, that, I mean, it, it's funny, as you talk about this, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you're really a midstream company. You're, you're basically delivering product, right, yes. uh, to yes. the wellhead for the, for the EMP guy, whereas when the, you know, midstream, so. yeah, right. and midstream companies basically take product and deliver it from the wellhead to the market, well, you've but you're both. just, it's, you've yeah. Got yeah. Both. You've got the commodity <laughs> and the, the delivery system to the end. No, y'all are right. I mean, that's that's a, a, a astute observation. We're, we're on a, we've got a foundation of sand, which is like a mineral asset base. Um, um, uh, we've got over a hundred years worth of, of that asset. Yeah. And then we're building out logistic solutions to more efficiently deliver uh, the sand to the wellhead, which includes a, a midstream component. The Dune yeah. Express is a midstream enterprise. You know, one fascinating thing about this story and just sand local sand because that's what this is right this is local sand in the permian and you do it for you i, I love hearing the goar of sand <laughs> right because and it's in the right basin right mm -hmm. so that's real important but it's interesting to me because i can remember 10 years ago being in boston in an investor's office and he basically said 
I'm so confused why all these companies are using northern white sand. I've got to believe there's more sand closer to the wellhead. Right. And I thought to myself, <laughs> maybe the sand business, maybe maybe this is wrong. And, yeah. and, and it really had me thinking, like, and it wasn't that long after that that we actually had folks kind of discover that, hey, we have some sand in the backyard here in the Birmingham Basin that we can use, and you guys just happen to find the biggest deposit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so funny how in hindsight's twenty twenty right. when you look right. back, and yeah. it seems so obvious. Yeah, I mean, right. should have seen that one coming. That, I mean, yeah, yeah, it was 50 to $75 a ton, ton just right. to get that sand down here. Yep. So, right. I mean, that was a huge constructive disruption. And uh, I, I, I personally, of course, love the fact that Atlas is uniquely positioned with the largest reserves out there to deliver the next constructive disruption with the Dune Express and, and more efficient delivery of that same. So, Bud, maybe in that, um, let's talk a little bit about the permitting process because there are rights of ways that Dune Express, you had to go out and kind of, you know, gather the, the right of ways here to build this project. And I know, you know, you've talked about your EMP experience, but maybe just talk to us a little bit about that process and kind of how difficult uh, that was to put in this whole idea together. Yeah, and as you know, Sean, we've been, I grew up in Midland, and we've been operating and working in the Permian for over 30 years now, and, and, and our land team has been working in the Permian for 30 years now. So that, we're probably unusual for an oil field service, we are, you know, to have that kind of experience and that track record and reputation. And, and one thing I know you guys all appreciate, we all do, the oil and gas business is still largely a relationship business, mm -hmm. and, and that yep. makes a big difference. And the fact that we have really good people that have done what they said they're going to do really matters. And the fact that, of course, that we have that experience, that we have we've leased and drilled wells, that we've done oil, gas, water gathering and distribution, both in the Bakken and extensively in the Permian, and that we've done extensive right-of-ways. Um, I really think that um, um, I can't imagine uh, that anybody else would have maybe even been successful at securing the right-of-ways we have. It's taken over four years to secure the right-of-way for the Dune Express, and that's because right-of-ways are really, really difficult. These landowners have made a lot of money over the years. They're not particularly motivated to make the next dollar. Um, it really comes down to who they're working with and are they comfortable with the counterparty. And so I'm really proud of the job that our team did. Um, and I think we're uniquely positioned to continue to do to accomplish more in that regard. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, again, I'm kind of big picture just listening to you talk about this whole project and how it came about. But wow, I mean, it, 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 it's not just the, the fact that you have a ton of EMP experience that kind of made you think of this idea, but it's also the EMP experience that's helped you kind of through the process of getting the right of ways right. and actually executing this. It's probably been super helpful. Is that fair? No, that that's exactly exactly right. It's it's a mentality, both you know the EMP background that we've got to figure out how to get the trucks off the road for these commodities, and then it is the experience. We even just having that idea is not enough. You have to be able to execute on it, and the fact that we've done that really important. And then maybe um, let's just hop to the the, the hot topic of ESG or. Um, but maybe talk to us, because I know you've talked about this before uh, on the initial kind of roadshow for the IPO, but lay out the social and environmental benefits of this conveyor and what it means to the community of Midland, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think you know that in my view, it all starts with governance. I mean, from the founding of our first company in 1990, 
we've recognized our core responsibility is to our shareholders. Uh, that's who we work for to, and to deliver financial returns for them. But to do that, we knew we have to take good care of our employees. We have to be good stewards of the communities and the environment we operate in. All our companies have done that. All our companies have outperformed. I'll put our track record of our companies, and particularly Atlas Sand, whether you look at societal, environmental accomplishments, I'll put them up against any other company, and it's because we focus on the right thing, creating value for our shareholders. So, so by doing that with Atlas, you know, we, we, we tied up the very best reserves, um, uh, the lowest cost to produce, the highest quality reserve. We're delivering better delivery systems that get the trucks off the road. I love the fact, since I grew up out there in Midland, I love the fact that we're, we're making it a better place to live and work and a safer place to live and work. Um, um, but it all, and, and, and it reduces emissions, getting those trucks off the road, it provides substantial reduction in emissions out there. But it all comes from the fact that we're focused on delivering returns for our shareholders. Yeah, well, I, I love hearing that because what I don't wanna hear is like, we're just trying to improve, I mean, I wanna yeah. improve the environment, but at the end of the day, your job, to your point, is to return capital, uh, capital to shareholders and, and, and provide return for shareholders. I mean, look, we, we had a great example. I mean, I, uh, I, I don't want to go off script too much, but we had a great example at Thrive. The guy that, I don't know if you guys got to hear the guy from BlackRock, but he said, I manage 2,000 people. None of them get paid based on the temperature of the earth. Their job is to produce returns. So I think yeah. even some of the biggest proponents of ESG, I'm not saying ESG is, is bad, it's all good. But at the end of the day, your job as a portfolio manager is to produce returns. Your job as a CEO of a company is to help produce good returns for your investors. Yeah, and I would phrase it a little di differently. Um, there's a lot of bad with ESG, per right. se. Yeah. But environmental and societal accomplishments are good. And that's why we sure. focus on specifically what we accomplish in those areas. Yep. Uh, but again, it all comes from governance. So I do think there's been a lot of... You know, there's some bad actors and some, some bad elements, and, but by focusing on more specifically first your shareholders and then to accomplish that for your shareholders, you've got to deliver it in, uh, to the other stakeholders. Um, right. That's the proper the approach. The Friedman Doctrine, he, he had it right. Okay, so building a 42-mile conveyor belt in the middle of West Texas, there's a little bit of uncertainty that comes with that. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the testing research that you guys did to ensure that the, the Dune Express is reliable, a little bit about that technology that could give us a, some more insight into what you guys are thinking. Sure. Um, you know, conveyor technology is nothing new. It has been used for centuries. You know, conveyors were first used to move agricultural products from shore to ship back in the 1700s. In, in the 1890s, there was a fellow by the name of Thomas Robbins. Um, he invented a conveyor belt system to transport coal and ore from one of Thomas Edison's enterprises. And that invention won the grand prize at the 1900 Paris Exposition World Fair. So, you know, the use cases for these types of systems has expanded over the years, and you've seen them pop up in many places, handling many kinds of materials. You know, around the world today, it is the preferred way to move aggregates over long distances. Um, there's one in West Africa that has been in operation since the early 1970s um, that, that hauls, and it hauls phosphate over 60 miles from mine to port. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because it's like people hear 42 miles, they think it must be the longest, you know, right. out there in the world and there's no way this is going to work type of thing. But there is, there's precedent for this to work. Oh, for sure. a large period of, of... And it's been going for more than 50 years. Yeah. So, you know, and a lot of these 
systems around the world operate in much harsher environments. Um, they run underground and across much different elevate or bigger elevation changes than we're dealing with in the Delaware Basin. So, you know, this puts into perspective just how widespread this technology is and how it's been applied and how long it's been in use. Um, you know, and to go one one step further, um, you know, we currently have five miles of conveyors in our plants. I mean, it is what makes our plants reliable, and um, and it's 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 performed flawlessly and it's outstanding. So, you know, we feel really good about the conveyor technology. Now, on the testing front, you know, we tested a, a prototype um, of our cover in a wind tunnel at, at Texas A&M University, and we're able to come out with a configuration that could withstand tropical force winds. Um, then after that, we actually hauled the prototype up to Washington State, the state of Washington, and uh, we tested that uh, in front of, for, for, for water and rain, we, we put um, a jet engine and we sprayed water on um, to, to simulate sideways wind to make sure that the sand would stay dry and it did. Um, so, you know, we did quite, that was some of the testing that we did. We did much other testing than that. And then, you know, even though this is old technology, um, you know, we're utilizing new technology to make it more reliable. One thing is that we're using are the smart idlers, which are um, the idlers are the rollers that the belt rolls on. And, and typically those create a lot of maintenance issues. Um, and typically to today, the way that the way that um, the way that uh, the, the technology that a lot of folks use in these conveyors is they just drive up and down the conveyor listening for these idlers to squeak. Um, to make noise, and that's how they know they need to be replaced. So, so what that's happens? A per, that's a person that does. That's that. a person. Yeah. So a person that's in a, in a, um, like in a, like a mule. I guess yeah. you're driving them down. Right. So, uh, so what, so what? When and when they actually have to replace it, they have to shut the entire belt down, and then they replace it and they put it back up. So typically, though, conveyors are ninety percent rely. I mean, they're up about ninety percent of the time, maybe a little bit nine percent plus. Um, you know, we're actually using a smart idler technology that incorporates a microchip, and that microchip will and will notify our maintenance teams that the the, the idler is, is going out before it actually goes out. Oh, so wow. okay. we'll be able to you know replace those idlers um, before they actually create additional wear and tear on the belt. The other thing is is that we don't even we won't even have to stop the belt. We've actually have some technology we can go in, we can replace idlers even before the, I mean, not in, the belt won't stop producing. So that belt will continue to run with sand on it. We don't oh have God. to shut the belt down. Cool. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So, yeah. you know, we're looking for, you know, 96, 97% uptime. That's pretty that's awesome. Great. So you guys have talked about this publicly, the total capital cost for the conveyors looking right around $400 million. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the construction? We've heard a lot about in the last, you know, several years, supply chain issues, you know, what are some of the issues on the longer lead time items? How are you guys managing, you know, this, you know, large construction project? And then when do you expect yeah. this thing to come on, really? Okay. Yeah, you know, you know everything's progressing nicely. Uh, after the IPO, we got to work quickly procuring those long lead time items um, for the build out. And earlier we announced it at the start of May, we had procured over 50% of the equipment and materials. Um, you know, it's been helpful to have that Kermit plant expansion going on at the same time because there's a a number of overlapping vendors um, between the projects, the the Dune Express and the in the Kermit expansion, and so as far as you know managing the supply chain, you know since we've been in the market, 
you know, we've been, we, we have a very good understanding of how long it takes to get things delivered. So when we were putting our, you know, right now, the, the Dune Express construction is, is, is scheduled to take 18 months. And when we were putting that project together, you know, we factored in things like long lead time items and, and, and cost increases that we were seeing. So, you know, the 400 million is, is, still, a, is, is still a good number. Um, you know, this, you know, we're, the, as far as the project goes, I mean, it's going to be in service as of fourth quarter 24, I mean, uh, yeah, fourth quarter of 2024. Um, and so, yeah, we feel real good about that. Cool. So you guys are also building out your own last mile logistics network. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the benefits, especially on those double and triple load trailers and why you guys would want to potentially circumvent weight limits on public roads for on that logistics piece of it. Yeah, you know, the weight restrictions are from the state, the Departments of Transportation, New Mexico and Texas. You know, once you get off a regulated road, these restrictions don't apply. And, uh, and it's these areas that we call them heat zones. Um, heat stands for high efficiency autonomous trucking zones. But basically what we're talking about here are private road networks that you all know are extensive in the oil field and particularly in this area of the Permian Basin. And they're surrounded by a few just a few public roads. So if you're running in a heat zone, we're not regulated by the Department of Transportation. We just need access to the roads. And that's granted by either the surface owner or it's by the, by the operator who has a mineral lease. Um, you know, I like to say something about the autonomous delivery. Um, since, since, you know, that's, that's part of the acronym that we use. You know, we're planning on to begin autonomous testing later this year. You know, it's a longer term ambition of ours to reduce the labor intensity of our delivery. Um, and to further increase safety through the deployment of autonomous, autonomous technology. You know, we have an ideal testing ground out here in Loving County. You know, it's the least populous state, one of the least populous states in America. And you have a bunch of, of roads where, uh, thing, where, you know, automobiles and vehicles have to move at very slow speed. So it's a very good place to, to test. Now, you know, talking about our trucking assets, you know, we're currently deploying, you know, uh, these assets are top of the line assets. Um, each trailer can hold around 35 tons of sand and we can, can connect those trailers together as a double or triple in those in, in a triple configuration which allows each cab to deliver as much as 105 tons of sand in a single payload whenever running off the TxDOT or the New Mexico DOT uh, regulated roadways. You know and these huge payloads combined with shortened hauls that the Dune Express will bring means that we should be able to reduce the intermittency of the sand delivery. Um, you know, most trucks deliver about 24, a 24 payload, and they're committing, they're coming from 60 to 70 miles away on an average is sometimes over 100 miles. If you can take that delivery down and drop it, you know, can drop off 100 tons per load and it's coming from 10 miles, um, you kind of get a sense that, you know, taking, you're going to really reduce the number of trucks on your, on your well site and the number of deliveries that you have to make each day. And one thing on that I might add, uh, and you guys probably appreciate this, you know, the Delaware Basin is really unusual. There's not many commercial roads. In fact, this first heat zone we're currently operating with double and triple trailering, 640 square mile area wow, that we're operating with these high capacity trucks. So there's a lot of efficiencies that we're able to deliver with this high capacity trucking, particularly in the Delaware Basin. And we wanted this high capacity trucking operation up and running by the time the Dune Express comes on. That's why we've launched our logistics assets. So when the when we start delivering sand off the Dune Express, you know, operators are going to be used to seeing doubles and triple trailers out there and are going to be well, when you go, are going to be very familiar with our delivery. It'll be seamless. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's good stuff. 
this project uh, obviously has gotten a lot of uh, airtime right, when you guys kind of went out on the road and talked about this when you guys went public. Uh, so I think this has been super helpful for us to get our arms around and be able to talk to you after after the, the road show and you guys have kind of gotten through the IPO process. Um, but Atlas has been a remarkable story and kind of why uh, do you think Atlas has been so successful and where do you, what do you see the future of Atlas kind of going forward? Uh, just give us your, your thoughts maybe to close. Yeah, well, and I talked about on the IPO that I, I didn't think I would be doing a third IPO. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I really didn't think I'd do a second, much less a third. Um, but, you know, when I think back about my career, you know, when I started in the 80s, you know, the industry has is, is, is changed so much. It's really evolved, and that evolution has really accelerated. So, so you know, this Atlas is, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the timing is such that this is the right company, the right opportunity at the right time for me. And and that's the reason we went public, that Atlas is really uniquely positioned, and, and our background really uniquely positions us for this opportunity that Atlas provides. When we saw the opportunity to secure local sand, and then we saw the opportunity to tie up what I consider the gawar of sand reserves in the Permian, it was like, wow, we can really make a difference on the evolution of, of the Permian. You know, local sand was a big disruption that benefited the Permian. But, but now, with logistics, I mean, when you think about how chaotic the oil field has been, the way we kind of moved equipment here and there, and most of the wells were dry holes in the 80s when I started, to now, you know, every well we're completing. And I never would have dreamed it would be like that. It's really a big factory on the ground. So, yeah. so we are seeing this factory, the evolution of this factory accelerate, and Atlas, given that we have this mission critical element for every single well in the Permian, and we have the largest reserves, is uniquely positioned to build out that, that factory. And so when you think about it, we're built on a foundation of sand. It's like, it's like minerals, you know, owning minerals. We have this asset base. Uh, we've got over 100 years worth of that asset. And we're building out this delivery system with our, with our Dune Express and the high capacity trucking and really, when you look at Dune Express, it's really a midstream component. So we've got yeah. we've got an asset base, we've got we've got um, infrastructure um, and and manufacturing, and then we've got a midstream component. So this is really a special company that's really uniquely positioned to to provide um, to enhance the delivery systems and make the Permian a, a more efficient factory on the ground and a better place to live and work. So that's what gets me excited. Yeah, no, it's a, it, you're definitely doing something that's extremely different from what everyone else is doing. That's what I always like about this industry is there's guys that innovate, there's guys that create things that we weren't doing before. And so uh, I think it's awesome. And uh, we really appreciate the time today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank both of you for having us in your office here in Austin. And man, we ought to go out and hit the links. I <laughs> looking out the window <laughs> over there. Really and nice out we there. should go play the... Uh, where they play the Dell Match Play. The Austin Country Clubs are right across the street from their office, so uh, we should get out there. But thanks again. Sean, maybe you and John can teach me how to play. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, John won all the money when we went out to the West Coast a couple of weeks yeah. ago, so uh, he's, he's got a pocket full of money, so go get it. Right. I'm ready to play again. Yeah, I know you are. Well, guys, thanks yeah. again. Uh, can't thank you enough for having us out. Um, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. thanks, guys. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Thank you, guys.